Well, hello, Grace family. It's good to be together, even in this way. And as fall is upon us, all of us are facing into different rhythms. Things have changed in one way or another for everyone, and things look different than previous fall seasons. And when we face into change, and it's the very fabric of our world right now, we can be confident that God is wanting to do something in us and through us because of this change. Uh, our tendency may be to naturally just tend to the things that are ever present and challenging us in the moment, but we forget what God wants to do internally in our souls in this time. And one of the things I've been bumping up against is I'm just exhausted by all of the things pressing in on life. And it's easy to forget that God is very much wanting to do a work in us in this season of change and that change is a catalyst for him to do that. And so we just want to take some time this morning to be attuned to the ways that God may be wanting to move and work in your heart and mind during this time. And in a sense, asking ourselves the question, what does faithfulness look like for me right now in this season? And so we're going to just take a time to have some silence and to pray and just ask God, how are you wanting to shape me? How are you wanting to use the change in my life, whatever it may be, whether it be your work rhythms or you have school-age kids who are now at home and your patterns have changed or maybe you're still at home and this is how you're just doing church whatever the case whatever the change is let's ask God what it is he's wanting to do in us internally in our souls right now to shape us and ask him to awaken us to those things so let's just take a moment to pause and consider what God might be wanting to do and then I'll pray with us together Father, we uh, just come to you now and we do ask that you would show us what it means to be faithful to you in this season of change, that you would awaken us to the things you're wanting to do in our minds and hearts. Father, make us attuned to your voice. Help us to be hearing and listening to you. As the things of this world and change presses in on us, we just ask that you would give us a vision for what you have, a vision for your heart a vision for the things that you see, the things that you're wanting to do. Lord, we need you to move and change. We need your Holy Spirit to just breathe on us. So again, God, we ask that you would awaken us and we pray this in your name, amen.
Today we'll be revisiting our passage in Ephesians and looking specifically at verses 1 through 6 in chapter 1. So here's Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 6. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. This is the word of the Lord. So this fall, we are walking through Ephesians 1 through 3, and we're considering all these blessings that we've been given by God in Jesus Christ. We're trying to root ourselves, ground ourselves in who we are so that we can live in this world from that place of security and confidence. And today we're going to look at specifically the blessings of God the Father that Paul outlines in verse 4 and 5. And there's two words that Paul focuses on that kind of capture the heart of the blessing of God the Father. First in verse 4, he chose us. And then in verse 5, he predestined us. And to the question of when did he do this, verse 4 tells us he chose us before the creation of the world. And verse 5 tells us he predestined us. So he destined us and he did it pre. He did it he did it before. So all that to say, in this passage, Paul is, is taking us all the way back to the beginning of time, to the eternal purposes of God. And from the beginning, God eternally purposed to do something amazing for those of us who believe. And I, I just want to acknowledge up front that some of us hear that word chose and especially predestined and, and we kind of tense up and we get nervous and it, it triggers all sorts of of questions. And of course, passages like this have sparked centuries of debate. 
And the goal in the next 15 minutes is not to solve all of those issues. And actually, that's clearly not what Paul's goal is in this passage. But what I, what I would like to say about these two words is just to put it in the simplest of terms, what I think this means, what every Christian can get around it is this, that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it means this, that we, each one of us can say in our own ways, long before I ever chose God, God first chose me. And whatever ways I pursue God in life, underneath all my pursuits of God, underneath that, there is a deeper pursuit. And it is God's loving pursuit of me. And that is intended to be this beautifully comforting reality that we live in. And, and it's clear in this passage that, that Paul's goal here is to elicit praise and worship. It's not to elicit debate and controversy. He, he, is, he is celebrating what God has done. And he's also, his goal is to elicit, I think, humility in us. And it's really interesting to me that when you look at different passages where, where Paul will talk about these words and God's actions, it almost always moves towards this response of humility. So I'm thinking of passages like 1 Corinthians 1, where Paul says this, He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things to nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one may boast before him. Rather, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so for me, a great litmus test for whether we're understanding these, these words like chosen and predestined, whether we're understanding them well, is if it leads to humility. Meaning if you, you start to think about what this means, you go and you realize like, oh, oh is that, that's what you mean. Like, oh, wow. So I, I really have nothing to brag about. I mean, there, there's nothing in myself that I can possibly brag about. This is all about what God has done for me in a way that I don't deserve. If you're left in that place of humility, then I think we're beginning to understand these words the, the way Paul intends us to understand them. All right, so I think we just need to acknowledge that in these words. But that being said, really Paul's focus is actually not on these two words, on chosen and predestined, but his focus is really on, on the goal and the purpose of the choice. Like, what are we chosen for? What are we predestined for? And you even think of that word predestined. It has within it this idea of a destiny, right? There's a, a destiny or even a destination that God has in mind for us. So today I want to focus us on that. What is the, the goal of the choice? What is the, the goal of the predestining? So let's uh, take these two verses, verse 5 and verse 6, or sorry, verse 4 and verse 5 in, in turn. First, let's look at verse 4. What's the goal? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, and here it is, to be holy and blameless in his sight. We were chosen in order that we might be holy and blameless. Now, I don't know how those two words sit with you today, holy and blameless, whether you connect with those at all, but I would suggest that those two words really describe what we all long to be in our heart of hearts. We, we all long to have the sense of wholeness and perfection and, and goodness about us, and we all wrestle with, with feelings of brokenness, of failure, of of inadequacies, and, and those feelings drive so much of human behavior. I mean, so much of what gets us out of bed and working really hard every day is this desire to succeed, to, to prove ourselves, or, or to, to seek to be beautiful 
on the outside, to do everything we can to look really good on the outside, to, to deal with some of these feelings we have inside. Or we seek to please people. We, we seek not to fail. So much of our, our behavior is motivated by this desire to be holy and blameless, even if we wouldn't use that language. And the beautiful thing of this passage is Paul's saying this, God chose you that you would be holy and blameless. And what's really interesting about this verse here is he's not really focusing actually on how we feel about ourselves at all. It has nothing to do with how we feel about ourselves. It has everything to do with how God feels and thinks about us. Because he says that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. Or another translation might be in his presence or before him. And the idea is that he chose us that we would stand before him in his presence and he would look on us and we would be objects of his delight and approval and affection. So this is all about the way that the Lord sees us. And I want to give a little story that has given me just a little glimpse of what it might be like to be like God in this, to, to look on his people with delight and affection. So every year, uh, Valentine's week, I get to take each one of my three girls out on a date. So, you know, I get like four dates with, with mom included at, at one point, four dates over the week. So it's a busy week, but it's what's so fun is the preparation for the date. So the girl, whichever girl I'm going on a date with, she'll go back into her room and I'll go into my room and she'll get ready. I'll put on a suit and tie. She puts on a dress and mom helps get her hair done. And then I go out into the living room and I wait. And then when the time is right, she comes out to present herself to daddy. And it is this beautiful moment. And she runs and I give her this big hug and I tell her how beautiful she is. But it is this moment where I get to see my daughter and she is truly holy and blameless in my sight in that moment. I mean, I just delight and I just look so forward to it. But one of the greatest dynamics in it is watching my daughter's delight in my delight in her. Right? Like my girls get excited because they know that daddy's going to think they look so beautiful. And so they delight in my delight in them. And I think their delight, that's not a vain thing. There's something pure and right this desire to be appreciated and seen as beautiful. In the, in the Gospels that God has, has chosen us, that we would stand in His presence as, as this object of His, His delight and approval, and that we'd be holy and blameless in His sight. Now, how is this possible? Because we're not holy and blameless. Well, Paul gives us the answer. We talked about this last week. For He chose us, this is verse 4, in him in Christ, right? It is only in Christ through his sacrifice, through the forgiveness that comes and the righteousness that comes through his sacrifice as we are united to Christ. That is how we then become holy and blameless in God's sight. So I was talking to someone this week who, who kind of gave me this picture, which I thought was perfect. I want you just to imagine that you are standing in the presence of God, okay? Like you are before the God of the universe and, and he is looking on you. And he's looking on you with these eyes of love. And he says, you are holy and blameless. I just, I adore you. And you're looking at yourself and you're like, no, I'm not. Like, I know all the stuff that's going on in me. But what you don't realize is that just behind you, Jesus himself is standing. He looms large behind you. And it's as if God the Father is kind of looking through you to his son and seeing all the perfections of his son and delighting in that because you are now 
by faith united to Jesus. And so God sees you as he sees his son, Jesus. So Paul in verse 4 is just celebrating the fact that that was part of God's eternal plan for you. That you would stand before him from that place of, of holiness and blamelessness in Christ. And I just think that that's so important for us as we, as we consider our own identity and our own worth. I think so often our culture is telling us to, to kind of look inside and to try to convince ourselves that we're worthy and that we're good enough. And the, the biblical view is actually, no, don't look inside yourself. Look outside yourself to God. Look at His pleasure in you. Look at how He sees you and begin to see yourself the way He sees you. It's really, faith is really about us beginning to delight in God's delight in us and beginning to trust it and live within it and enjoy it. All right, so that is the first blessing in this passage from God the Father. Chosen to be holy and blameless in His sight is a humbling privilege. And then the second one is verse 5. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. So here Paul is talking about the second destination, destiny. If the first one is that we'd be holy and blameless. Now in verse 5, he describes this destiny in terms of us being adopted into God's own family. That we become children of God. That that was the destination he always had in mind from us from the beginning of time. And, you know, there's the idea of adoption is, is such a, a rich biblical word. I, I want to just quote from G.I. Packer. He says it this way. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as father. There's so much we could say theologically about the meaning of adoption, but I think the most helpful thing would just be to share a story that, that I experienced. So I, I got to um, be a part of an adoption hearing, an adoption ceremony in a courthouse. And it was the adoption of my nephew, Johnny. So my wife has a sister and she and her husband uh, were part of a foster adopt program. And so at six days old, Johnny was brought to their home. And Johnny had a biological mother who um, was really young and really was incapable, uh, unable to, to provide for him and to care for him. And so Jeff and Kelly entered into this season of foster adopt with this, with this hope to adopt Johnny. And they went through, and we all went through, this two-year roller coaster of court hearings, of decisions, of questions of what was going to happen. And finally, after two years of just trial and challenge and ups and downs, this all culminated in them adopting Johnny when he was three. And, and I will never forget the experience of being in that that courtroom. It was Johnny, of course, and, and his parents and, and his two sisters, but not just them, but the extended family, not just the extended family, but a bunch of friends and really this community that had walked with them all for the last two years. And so it was just this moment of total celebration. And, and I will never forget a couple things. Just, I remember sitting there thinking, looking at this little boy and thinking how much his life has changed through adoption and, and what he now gets to receive because of this. The, the love and care, um, the affection, the opportunities, the community, the, the privileges, the resources, so much in his life 
was changing so dramatically, he couldn't even possibly understand it, couldn't grasp what was happening in that moment. And the other thing that was really compelling was just the, the legal status change that happened. There was this great, this judge, he was such a good guy, he was warm and personable, but to be able to kind of witness this moment of, of legal status change that would forever impact this little boy's life was this profoundly emotional and moving moment. And I think for me, it gave me just a little glimpse of, of the privilege that comes from being adopted into God's family and how much that changes our status. And it takes us from this place of spiritual poverty and alienation and brokenness on our own. And we are now brought into God's own family as his sons and daughters in Christ. It's just this, it's, there's so much wealth that comes from that. And so I want to just leave us just with a, a, a few aspects of what it means to be God's children. So first, most obviously, it means we are now these objects of God's constant love and care every single day. And really, the point of adoption is not, is not just to adopt, but you adopt so that you can love and care for a child for the rest of their life, right? That's the point, that you enter into this relationship and you provide and you protect and you care for their lives. And that's God's intention. That's why he adopted us. So every day he might care for us, provide for us. And he is the perfect parent. He knows exactly what we need. And he is faithful to do that because we're his kids. So he provides this love and affection. But but another one, another great benefit is that we now have what I would call intimate access to our God. And that's really what marks sons and daughters, right, is, is the sense of freedom and confidence with which they approach their parents. And that's language that Paul uses in Ephesians 3. We now have freedom and confidence to approach our God. So let me give you a little example. So many of you know me as a friend or maybe you know me as a pastor and, and hopefully you know me as a, as a kind, thoughtful person, um, but you do not have intimate access to my life. You don't, you don't approach me with a kind of freedom and confidence in certain contexts. That kind of freedom and, content and confidence and access is reserved for my children. So for instance, one of my children will wake up in the morning early before I do, and she presumes to be able to just walk right into my bedroom and crawl right into my bed without even asking me, right? Or another one will walk into my closet and grab some of my dress shoes and start walking around in my dress shoes. You would never think about doing that without asking me. Or sometimes I'll wake up before them and I'll be having a nice peaceful breakfast by myself and one of them will just walk right over, plop themselves in my lap and just start putting my food in their mouths without even asking, right? They, there, there's a freedom and confidence that children presume upon from their parents and it is entirely appropriate for them to do that. And that is the good news is that we can now presume that kind of freedom and confidence with the God of the universe with whom we have intimate access. It's this amazing blessing. And then one last blessing that I'd, li I'd like to mention is that comes with adoption is we now have authority and we have an inheritance. And I think the first century readers who are reading this, this is what, what they would think of most. So in, in Roman law, if, um, you know, it'd be a recognized practice for an adult um, who wanted a male heir, someone to carry on the family name and to inherit the estate, they would adopt a, a you know, a, sometimes a servant of the house or, or someone that they knew 
um, usually not at infancy, but at age. And that would become then the heir of the estate. And so I think when, when those first century heirs would hear children and adoption, they would be thinking about inheritance. They'd be thinking about authority. And that is this great blessing that we are now God's children. And what Paul will say in so many passages, and because we're children, we are now heirs. We stand to inherit this amazing fortune because our Father is the richest being in the universe. And we will inherit the earth. We will inherit the heavens, the new heavens and the new earth, which means that our future is insanely good and blessed. So his love and affection, intimate access to him and an inheritance that is beyond our wildest imaginations. This is what it means to be God's children. All right. So that is the blessing of the Father, chosen to be holy and blameless and predestined to be God's children. These are things that God eternally resolved to do for us. And it's really all about Him. And so we're left humbled, grateful, and we have this great opportunity to simply praise Him and thank Him for what He's done. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, your perception is your reality in life. How you see yourself will ultimately affect your relationship with others, but more importantly, and pertaining to the truths that we have encountered this morning, how you perceive God sees you will definitely affect how you relate with God. We've addressed this before many times, but it bears re-emphasizing. To use terminology used in poker, in poker, a tell is something you do that inadvertently reveals the nature of the cards you have in hand. And likewise, as a Christian, your perception of how God sees you is your tell regarding the nature of your theology. And your view affects how you approach God. It affects how you pray. It influences the confidence you have towards God, that is, the confidence that you have in God. It is therefore so important for you to see yourself as God sees you in Christ Jesus. You are holy and blameless in His sight. And you may be thinking, how can that be? Look at me, I'm a mess. I struggle with sin. I struggle with my attitude. I'm fearful. I'm so far from impressive. And that may all be true, but while people may see you for who you are in the flesh and therefore may judge you or treat you based on the person you are in the flesh, God does not. He sees you in Christ, holy, righteous, perfect, blameless. God loves and accepts you completely in Christ in spite of your shortcomings and failures, imperfections, or weaknesses in the flesh. And thank God that God's acceptance of you is not based on your ability to be impressive to Him. Jesus solved that problem. He took on the punishment you deserved. He paid the price. He gained reconciliation on your behalf once and for all. We know this, right? But here's the thing we need to dwell on. We need to soak ourselves in this truth. The Father is satisfied. He is satisfied with you. It's not hard for us to get our heads around God the Father being pleased with His Son, Jesus. That makes sense to us. 
And when I picture the scene of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist and the Spirit of God descending on him and a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. We get that. And wow, how great that would have felt to Jesus. But here's the thing. Because of Christ, those words from our Heavenly Father are ours too. They're words for us. And this truth, when it takes root in us, will eradicate fear, shame, guilt, or condemnation from your heart when you stand in God's presence. Friends, our Heavenly Father wants you to live in truth. He wants you to see yourself as He sees you, holy and blameless in His sight. Let that sink in. Let's take a moment to do that. We're going to give you a little space of silence to reflect on that truth that God is satisfied in you.
Well, we hope that you've been encouraged by this morning's message, and we invite you now to consider these reflection questions that we'll put on the screen. And let's just close our time with this wonderful benediction. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.